Welcome to The Marissa Morrison Show, where you'll discover your inner power to create the life you desire. I'm Marissa, and I began my business as a 19-year-old, single mom, broke, and in college. Today, I run a seven-figure business that teaches entrepreneurs how they can have it all without the frustration and overwhelm. Abundance, peace, joy, and overflowing love are available to you. And I'm here to show you the way to a richer, more vibrant life that radiates into your business, bringing you higher profits and profound fulfillment. You see, when you connect with the miracle that is you, you become an unstoppable force that doesn't need to push for success. Consider this an invitation to step into a new world of possibilities, empowering perspectives, and radical breakthroughs. Buckle up and get ready to see the world around you in an entirely new light. This is your life, and you don't need to wait to experience your dreams. It all starts now. Dr. Heather Finley is a -a one-of-a-kind dietitian on a mission to change the landscape of how we treat gut issues. After completing her doctorate, she was still faced with her own struggles and soon realized that the solution is about so much more than simply what we eat. Over the last decade, she's developed a proven approach to gut health that actually works, the Gut Together program. So you might be wondering, what does this have to do with manifesting my wildest dreams? Well, in the manifestation process, your mental health is of the utmost importance as it determines your vibration. And you can only attract what is in harmonious vibration to you. And guess what? Your gut health is directly related to your mental health. So today's conversation has everything to do with you bringing your dreams into reality. Dr. Heather Finley is changing lives, and she's here today to empower us on our mission of living lives we love. Welcome to the show, Dr. Heather Finley. Dr. Heather Finley, welcome to the show. I am so excited that you're here. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here, and I'm glad the gardeners stopped right before we pressed record, so... (laughs) It's not going to interfere with this episode. Yes, me too. Me too. Well, I am so excited for this conversation. As we were talking just before we came on, you know, our bodies and the function of our bodies is directly related to our mental health. And a lot of our listeners here are passionate about bringing their dreams into reality. And I think that one of the biggest things that can be missed in this passion of following through meditation, affirmations, journaling, and doing this deep inner work is where does our body come into play when we're elevating our mental health? And so I know this conversation is going to be such a major stepping stone for the audience here today. And so to begin, I would love to know your story. What led you to your career path of being the amazing dietitian that you are today? Yeah, so it's a it's a very long story, but I'll keep it brief and just kind of summarize it by saying that I struggled with digestive issues my entire life. I always tell people I was born constipated, and that sounds really sad and discouraging, and I don't mean it that way, but it was really something that I didn't actually realize was a problem until I was on a trip actually with my family as a teenager, and I had debilitating stomach pain. I hadn't gone to the bathroom in like a week. And I had this light bulb moment of, oh, not everybody feels this way. And it kind of started me on this journey of like, I guess everything that I thought was normal isn't actually normal. But how often is that so true in our lives of, you know, especially with women, 
we don't talk about poop. We don't talk about our hormone issues. We don't talk about stuff. And a lot of the stuff we're struggling with, maybe behind the curtain, we think is normal or has been normalized in our culture, but it just isn't. And so as a teenager, I just remember going to these doctors, telling them, like, I can't go to the bathroom. Like, I'm super bloated. Everything hurts. You know, my stomach hurts after I eat. And they would just tell me, like, it's all on your head. You just need to relax. Or I was getting these really bad migraines and they'd say, well, just take a Tylenol and then you'll prevent the migraine. And even as a teenager, I'm like, that doesn't seem right. You know, like it doesn't seem like a good idea to take that every single day. And so I went on this path to really understand nutrition and it was kind of a selfish endeavor, honestly, but I knew that I wanted to be able to help people with it one day. I was also a competitive swimmer. And so part of my interest in food was kind of from the sports nutrition side of what do I eat to swim the fastest? And so I go to school to study nutrition. I'm swimming. I'm doing all this stuff, learning about nutrition. I graduate. And right around the time that I graduated college, my dad was actually diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And it was honestly the shock of my life. I My dad was the guy who ran six miles at lunch every day. He had more energy He was just the dad that did everything. Like he was always there. He was never sick. And I remember getting this call from my mom, like there's something wrong with dad. And I was like, nothing's wrong with him. He's totally fine. Like he was supposed to actually come visit me and he wasn't going to be able to make it. And I'm like, but dad always makes it, you know, like that's, that's who he is. And so, like I said, shock of my life. And I graduated college. My dad actually did end up making it to my graduation while he was on chemo, he literally had his like chemo in his belt pocket as I'm walking across the stage. And it was a super weird moment of like, I think I chose the wrong career path. I still have the worst digestive issues that I've ever had in my entire life. My dad now has stage four colon cancer, which I understand is likely, you know, going to be helped in some sense, hopefully by nutrition, but I had no idea how to help him. And I just, all the imposter syndrome creeping in of, I think I made a huge mistake. (laughs) Um, Like clearly I'm not understanding something. And so over the next year, really, you know, watched my dad essentially lose his battle to colon cancer. Um, You know, I said it was stage four. We had moments of hope and then, you know, things would kind of get bad again, but it was pretty much a year to the day that he lost his battle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a super helpless feeling of just like, there's nothing I can do, you know? And But it spurred a lot of these thoughts inside of me, like, how could this have been prevented? How does someone go from being completely healthy or appearing completely healthy to losing their life in a year from a really aggressive form of cancer? Like, that just didn't make sense to me. And one of the last conversations that I had with my dad was about how one day I was going to actually figure this out. I was like, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand how this happened and how we got to this point. But like one day I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to help people. And he was like, I think you should write a book. And like, honestly, that was one of the last conversations that I had. And so fast forward now, more than 11 years later, I did write a book. And although it's not about colon cancer specifically, really the last 11, 12 years of my life have been devoted to really understanding the gut really understanding functional wellness. And what I mean by that is more like preventative health. Like how do we prevent people from getting to the point of 
you have stage four colon cancer. And then also understanding for myself too, how is someone born with digestive issues and how do we actually help people improve their digestive health in a way that's realistic and manageable? And so there's kind of two sides to my story that I'm weaving in here, but really what it all comes down to is just the lack of knowledge and and education around our gut. And I know we're going to talk about that more, just how it's just so connected to everything. I know for me, when I finally figured out what was actually triggering my digestive issues, it was much different than I ever thought it was going to be. I always thought it was like, it's just this one food. Like I've got to figure out what's the one food that's causing my symptoms. And I realized most of my symptoms were triggered by stress, grief, trauma, um, all the other outside things that were affecting my gut. And, you know, for my dad, obviously there's a lot of missing pieces and things that we don't know, but, you know, we just, the way that we approach health in general is so reactive versus preventative. And so now, you know, I get to help other individuals that have digestive issues, not spend 20 years of their life constipated and really understand how to navigate their gut health so that they can prevent, you know, some of these more serious things down the road. So long story, but uh, this is kind of how I got where I am now. I'm so excited to dig in more. And what a beautiful story. I think when your why is so deep and so personal, it really translates into the work that you do and the impact that you make. And so I just, after hearing that, want to say thank you for following your heart because it's through our ability and faith that we listen to that nudge guiding and leading us that leads into something so big and magnificent that does help other people, not only ourselves like it did for you, but also other people. And so I'm just so thankful that you were able to be the vessel to help other people in that way and to shed light on gut health and how it actually works. Because I know, I remember back whenever we were talking, you had shared how there was, you know, they'll give you a list of food to avoid with gut health. And I know for me, I certainly had the same experience. I actually had an eating disorder um, whenever I was younger for seven years and I went to rehab, which thank goodness I have, I think I was 23 and I've never looked back. I'm so thankful for that experience. I learned so much about myself and my body, but a lot of what they taught is a lot of very broad, minimal education. And so in this, as people are listening, I know that there are people who are listening to this certainly are probably like, okay, I have issues with my gut and I know it. And so what would you say some of the biggest misconceptions are when it comes to gut health? Yeah, I think some of the biggest misconceptions are exactly what you said earlier. Gut health is about restriction. Gut health is about what you can't do. Gut health is about, you know, limiting your life. And I see gut health from an abundance perspective. Gut health is about all the foods that you get to eat to help improve the diversity of bacteria when we can talk about why that matters if you want. But It's about including enjoyable experiences in your life because we know that joy and pleasure and fun are part of a healthy gut too. And I think that's where our medical system gets it so wrong is it's, you know, they have 15 minutes per patient per day or per year, sorry. And so it's, that's the easiest solution, right? You're bloated. Here's a list of foods that cause bloating. So just don't eat them. 
And now everybody's scared to eat when the reality is we know from research that the wider variety of foods that you can eat, especially on like the plant side of things, the more abundance of bacteria you have in your gut. And those things have a huge say in mental health, physical health, you know, all the things it's all connected there. So that would be the biggest misconception I would think, um, or that I hear the most. Some other misconceptions is, you know, about like certain foods, like specifically that trigger gut issues. I think there's a lot of, uh, in the wellness world, like nobody should eat, you know, whatever it is, gluten, dairy, soy, you know, the list can kind of go on and nutrition is so nuanced. (laughs) Like what's good for me is going to be different than what's good for you in a sense. And so, I just don't agree with like the blanket. Nobody should be eating, you know, this, this, and this um, in general. So that's a big misconception as well. Yeah, I love that. I actually remember reading in a book about, it was more about spirituality and enlightenment, but I remember reading in that book about how they've done studies where if a person, it's kind of like the placebo effect. If a person believes that a food is not good for them, it actually does cause potentially more harm in their body and they don't receive as much nutrients from it. Do you find that to be true? Yeah. And I'll explain to you why, because I think it's really helpful for people to understand kind of like we were talking about before we pressed record the science behind some of it. Like these things are so connected, like your beliefs, your thought patterns, those have a bigger impact on your gut than food itself. And the reason why is because it all comes back to stress (laughs) and before you turn off the episode and are like, here we go again, we're talking about stress. Let me just explain to you a different perspective on it. So your body is very smart. It is designed to prevent disaster. It's designed to prevent stressful events, but it doesn't know the difference. It doesn't know the difference between you being scared to eat something because you're worried about digestive symptoms or you being stressed about an email you just got or stressed about whatever it might be, past trauma, et cetera, like the layers can go very deep there. But let's just use the example of maybe you read on Google that something is bad for your gut health. And so now you're sitting at a friend's party and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so bloated after I eat this. This is going to be terrible. What happens is your body thinks, oh my gosh, there's a tiger sitting right next to me. I need to run away from this tiger that is sitting at the table with me. And so it's not worried about digesting whatever this food is. It's worried about let's get blood flow away from the gut. Let's get blood flow to the muscles so we can run as fast as possible away from this tiger. And the other things that happen more on like a physiological level as well are your salivation shuts down. You don't need saliva to run fast, but saliva is what actually kicks off the entire digestive process when you salivate. So people have probably had an experience where they've walked past like a bakery, right? And you think I wasn't hungry until I smelled that. And now I'm salivating. That's a good thing because salivation actually kicks off stomach acid production, pancreatic enzyme output, bile flow. All those pieces of digestion are so important for actually breaking down your food So that by the time it ends up in your small and your large intestine or your colon, it's broken down and your body can utilize it. But what happens for a lot of people, whether it's stress about the food or they're working through lunch or whatever it is, your digestion is completely shut down because of stress. So you're not getting that salivation and then everything that follows that. 
then food ends up in your intestines, barely digested, sitting there, causing fermentation and overgrowth, which is the bloating and discomfort that a lot of people experience. And the easy thing to blame is the food, right? Oh, well, it's because I ate that food that I'm bloated. But what if it's actually because your body just didn't have the raw material to actually digest the food? And that starts even with the thought patterns that you have before you sit down to eat, which is kind of wild to think about. It's fascinating. It is so fascinating. Our bodies are so intelligent. They're always listening to our minds. It's insane. I mm-hmm. I know all of this certainly applies to the brain and I'm always thinking about, you know, my creativity and when I'm creating products and just thinking about abundance, you know, I know that if I'm stressed that it's going to my limbs and so my brain also isn't receiving the resources it needs to function in its full capacity. And so it's so fascinating to hear you connect this also with the gut. I've never actually thought of it this way or heard anyone say it this way. So I feel like a lot of people listening are probably like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Right? Yeah. Seriously. So tell me more about what the gut-brain connection actually is. So the gut-brain connection is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. And the reason is, is because in some sense, it's actually a newer science. And it's something that we're learning more about every single day. So go back to 2011, when my dad gets diagnosed with colon cancer and my digestive symptoms were worse than they'd ever been in my entire life, exhibit a gut-brain connection right there. But that's actually just right around the time that people were figuring out about the gut-brain connection. So it's not that old of a concept. You know, we've known about it because everyone's had kind of that gut-brain experience, right? Like, you're about to give a speech or you have to have a really difficult conversation with someone and you're worried, you know, what are they going to say? And your stomach's in knots or you're running to the bathroom. Everyone can have an experience that they can relate to when it comes to that. But the really interesting thing about the gut-brain connection is if you think about how strong that reaction is, so you're nervous, your stomach is in knots, you know, you're having digestive symptoms, maybe just acutely, there is actually more information going from your gut to your brain than there is from your brain to your gut. So you think about how strong that is. What about what's going on every day from your gut straight back up to your brain? It's about like a 90, 10% split, some maybe 80, 20. So it's a huge amount of information going from your gut to the brain, basically telling your brain what to do and what to do in the sense of like what neurotransmitters should we produce are we producing inflammation? We had, oh, you mentioned creativity, definitely a gut connection there. And it all kind of does come back down to the overall balance of bacteria in our gut. So this is maybe a new concept to people, but you have two to five pounds of bacteria in and on your body, which is kind of weird to think about. You are actually more bacteria than you are human mm-hmm. cells. You have more bacteria. And so those bacteria, just like we need food for survival, they do too. And they feast off of fiber from the food that we eat. And we want to have an abundance of these bacteria. They are picky eaters. So they all like different foods, which is why you don't want to eat the same thing every single day. But what happens is these bacteria eat fiber. And as a result, they produce something called short chain fatty acids. And these short-chain fatty acids are anti-inflammatory to the gut, to the brain, to the body. 
they help with productivity, creativity, you know, mental health, et cetera. And so it all kind of starts there in the gut with the resident microbes that we have living inside of us, which is so weird to think about because we can't see them, but they're there. Um, They do so much for us. Happy bacteria, happy life. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's so true. Keep the bacteria happy and they will keep you happy 100%. I was actually watching a documentary last night with my family and they were talking about that exact same thing, how we are more bacteria than anything else, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you think that your stomach is, I'm trying to repeat it as they said it, but it's like, you think that your stomach is digesting the food, but really it's the bacteria that's doing more so than, than even you. And so that's such a, a beautiful yet for some people, maybe a strange concept to think about, but certainly helpful in us understanding how our brain is constantly budgeting what it needs based on what it's receiving from the messages of the gut. And so for someone that is going through their life and maybe they're struggling with self-sabotage or that critical mind or just burnout or even hormone issues, and maybe they are seeking help, but not really addressing the gut. Why does the gut, obviously we've talked about it, but on a deeper level, why does the gut matter so deeply for these issues? Really because everything starts and ends there, you know? So your hormones are deeply connected to your gut, your metabolism deeply connected to your gut, everything you just mentioned. You can't treat the body in isolation, which is partially where our medical system has gone so wrong is oh, you have a hormone issue, you go to the OBGYN. Oh, you have this issue, you go to this person. And that's helpful to an extent for very severe things like colon cancer. You know, you want to have the specialist in that. But when you don't look at how all these symptoms are impacting each other, so take my story, for example. I had constipation and bloating, but also really severe headaches. I was having hormone issues as well. I was exhausted I had tons of things going on outside of my gut that if I had gone, which I did, I went to this person for that and this person, nobody could connect the dots. And when you really connect the dots and realize how all the things are connected, it actually makes the path forward a lot more simple, which is what people want, right? I think a lot of times we self-sabotage because we think we don't have enough discipline or it's too complicated or I can't stick with this or this is too many things. But the first step is let's figure out how all these things are connected. You detox hormones through your stool. So sorry, we're going to talk about poop. But when you poop, you're actually detoxing estrogen and other hormones. So if you're having hormone issues, but you're not pooping, like that's where we've got to start. You also produce neurotransmitters in your gut as well. So if you're kind of going back to that like bacterial population, if you're eating the same five foods every single day and you're struggling with anxiety and it can get obviously a lot more complicated than this. Like you want to look at, okay, do you have enough beneficial bacteria in your gut to produce these things, which can start up the chain a little bit too? Are you actually digesting your food? Because really your digestive tract, when we're talking about it, it's an open system from your mouth all the way to the end. Like we're looking at that whole entire process, not just your intestines, like a lot of people think um, when they think of the gut. So that was kind of a really roundabout way of saying You can't treat things in isolation, especially when the gut is involved, just because it's kind of the command center of everything else. I mean, your immune system is housed there. And so not that you always start with the gut, but it's 
most likely connected to what symptoms you're experiencing, even if you don't just have constipation or, you know, some of these typical like gut symptoms that a lot of people would say. That leads me to my next question. What would be a few signs and symptoms for people to help self-diagnose themselves and say, you know, yes, I do need to take the next steps in improving my gut health? So some signs like outside of the standard, you know, constipation, bloating, diarrhea, acid reflux would be skin issues. Skin issues, your body purges things in one way or another, either through your stool, through your sweat, or through your skin. And so if you have severe skin issues, it might be worth looking into your gut. Mood issues, fatigue, other hormone issues, especially, you know, estrogen dominance related symptoms, always helpful to look at your gut. Or even if you're if you're the type that's like, I get bloated only at certain times of my cycle, but I'm fine other times or what people will describe as like period poops. Also helpful to look at, okay, how are my hormones and my gut issues linked? Like maybe getting diarrhea at the beginning of my cycle isn't actually normal. There's something else going on. So those would be the main ones, at least that we tend to see. But really, most things can kind of be stemmed back there. I feel like from what I'm hearing, it sounds like almost everyone would probably benefit from doing a general checkup and just seeing how they're doing. Yeah. And it's not like everyone needs like in-depth, you know, testing and all the like expensive things that can be really cool, but no one's going to go wrong addressing their gut health, right? Like nobody's going to go wrong working on eating more variety, working on, you know, replenishing their good bacteria, incorporating prebiotics, like a lot of the kind of the basic things that we will suggest for gut health. Nobody is going to go wrong doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So with someone coming in new to you, how do you go about determining if they have gut issues? Yeah. So our process is three steps. This first step is really in-depth assessment. Kind of like I said earlier, we don't like to treat things in isolation and we really want to understand the whole picture. So when did your symptoms start? Are you like me and you were quote unquote born constipated or Did these symptoms start after a head injury, after pregnancy, after a really stressful life event? There's lots of different things that can trigger gut symptoms, um, including all the things that I just mentioned. We want to kind of pull back the curtain. Okay, from birth till now, what are all the major events that potentially contributed to this? And what have you done that has made things better or worse? You know, maybe you took antibiotics for SIBO or you tried this probiotic or you did this thing and we want to know how your body responded to it. And then looking at patterns in your day-to-day symptoms. So maybe you don't have symptoms on the weekends, but you do during the week. Okay. Is there a stress component there? Is it an environment component? What's actually going on? And then we'll bring in some testing. So let's look at your minerals. What are your minerals showing us? Like the patterns in your minerals and then some stool testing. What is your gut actually showing us? Do you have beneficial bacteria in the correct amounts? Do you have unwanted bacteria? Are you actually digesting your food? It gives us a really full picture. Then we can move on to step two. So what nutrition shifts do we want to make more, again, from an abundant standpoint? What foods do we need to include to help these good bacteria flourish? Are there certain probiotics that we need to add in? What lifestyle adjustments? So where are we bringing in? stress management, rest, hydration, 
joy, pleasure, et cetera. Where are we bringing these things into your life to support your gut? And then using supplementation when needed. So are there certain supplements that we need to support mineral balance or to support detoxification in a certain way? And then step three is, okay, now that we know the triggers and we know what's kind of caused this cascade of symptoms, what do we need to do long-term to prevent them from coming back? So next time you go through a stressful event or you have a baby or whatever it is, you don't go back to square one. Like what are kind of the maintenance things to do? Just like any other thing kind of on the on the opposite side, you know, things that I know you stress with your clients, like what are the daily practices that are helpful when it comes to the other side of things? So from the gut side, what lifestyle adaptations do I need to have? What hydration, nutrition, et cetera? What can I do to maintain this versus kind of being on this Ferris wheel of symptoms that never end? Yeah. Would you say as you're talking, one thing that keeps coming to mind, going back to trauma, I think that we Mm -hmm. all can say, you know, we've experienced trauma in some way. And I'm thinking about childhood trauma, for example, if that childhood trauma remains with them and those emotions are not fully expressed. And so in some ways they continue to be triggered from that trauma in their adult life. And then let's say that they're going through life and they have a stressful job and then they experience another trauma, maybe a 10-year relationship breakup. And it just, life kind of keeps going and these things aren't dealt with emotionally, psychologically, you know, but also as we're talking biologically within the gut, how does the gut go through that journey with them? So I guess what I'm trying to ask is, I know that there's this feedback loop constantly between the gut and the brain, and these matters are continuing on in their life. And they're not focusing on the gut or resolving the gut or the emotional element. Does the gut continue to be stressed through that over time? I'm curious of that long-term picture. It certainly can be. So there's actually really interesting research about early childhood trauma and the development of IBS-related symptoms. Most of the studies on it specifically have been on children who were like in foster care and had like an early life disruption. And that's kind of how they defined early life disruption is like, you know, being in the foster care system or adoption or whatever it is. And so, but they looked at just the incidence of IBS symptoms later in life. And I can't remember off the top of my head what the stat was, but it's it's pretty significant showing how much early childhood trauma affects our gut. The other cool and interesting piece about gut health is like the first, I think it's like 365 or 356 days or something. It's like close to a year, basically are the most key when it comes to like setting the microbiome. Now, that does not mean that if you had an emergency C-section or you couldn't breastfeed or you whatever happened, that you're doomed. That does not mean it at all. But as far as like prevention of severe IBS-related symptoms or even IBD, so inflammatory bowel disease, that first year, and I really think three years, is super, super critical. And so there's lots of things we can do, but most people listening to this aren't one years old or younger. (laughs) Maybe they have kids one years old or younger, but all that to say unresolved trauma can continue to trigger gut issues if it's not addressed. Um, There's of course 
different psychobiotics and bacteria and things that we can do to help the gut-brain connection, which can make your body more resilient to stress, but it doesn't take away the trauma. And so that's why improving gut health can't just be nutrition and supplements. It has to be that work as well. We work with tons of clients that have past trauma. And when they work with someone to address it, whether it's through nervous system work or EMDR or other different modalities, it is a literal game changer for them because they have this trapped trauma inside of them. And I even know for me, like grieving my dad appropriately, I feel a lot better than if I'm like holding stuff in, which is why my GI symptoms were worse than they've ever been during that year that he was sick and the years following because I didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to deal with trauma. And I just thought I could run six miles a day and like that would make me feel better, which is how a lot of people try to cope with their stress until they can't anymore. So yes, definitely a connection there. And that's why working on it from the brain side and the gut side is the best approach, really. Yeah. For you, how did you feel once you were able to improve your gut health emotionally about your overall life picture and also about your dad? I would say I felt a lot more hopeful. That was the biggest thing. You know, I kind of lived and I I was able to see past like the day. I think we were talking about this beforehand related to something else, but I wasn't living on a day-to-day basis anymore. It was like I could see the vision a lot more clearly when in reality, when I was struggling with my digestive issues, my life revolved around my symptoms. Like I'm worried about what's coming this weekend. I'm worried about this upcoming trip and how my symptoms are going to be. I'm worried about, it was right around the time I met my husband too. Oh my gosh, I hope we don't go out to dinner on a date because that's going to be terrible. Like it's just your life. You're so self-consumed and I didn't want to live my life like that. You know, living in a world where everything revolves around your symptoms and what you can't do or fear of what you can't do, it starts to implode, you know, your relationships and everything else around you. And then when things get better, it's all of a sudden like, yeah, I'm excited about traveling. I'm excited about these future plans. I can see the path forward without this fear of what if, you know, so that was the biggest thing for me. Wow. That's incredible. What were some of the things that you did specifically on your journey to improve your gut health? So for me, honestly, the biggest light bulb moments and the things that moved the needle the most, getting my stress under control. Um, Because I always thought that stress was just like stress about my job or stress about, you know, this thing or that thing. I didn't realize that overtraining was a stress on my body. Under eating was a stress on my body. Not dealing with trauma was a stress on my body. How I ate was a stress on my body. So looking at stress from more of like all the external triggers of internal stress, that was a big thing. Doing stool testing and getting a more functional look at what was going on was really powerful for me just because I had been told that everything was normal. You know, I'd gone to all these doctors and they're like, your colonoscopy is fine. Like, I don't know. You're the pinnacle of health. And I'm like, I am not the pinnacle of health. It's like that meme that you see all the time of the person sitting on the doctor's table and they have hives all over them. And the doctor's like, (laughs) you're the pinnacle of health. And the person's like, why do I have these hives? Like, that's exactly how I felt. Like, 
then why do I feel terrible all the time? So doing more of the functional testing to get to like, okay, yeah, everything's normal in the sense that I have nothing seriously and like life threatening wrong with me, but there's obviously some underlying things that just helped too with relieving stress that I didn't feel like I was going crazy, you know, like, okay, there's things on paper. And so it was, it was really holistic. Like I had to address it from the underlying gut issue side of things, but I also had to address the lifestyle piece. Uh, The way that I was living my life was not conducive to optimal gut health. So it was a lot of slow, of course, changes, but like not priding myself on not sleeping. That was not a badge of honor that I needed to wear anymore. You know, being able to actually include more foods in my diet versus just continuing to cut them out. Those are all huge shifts. Just kind of giving yourself a little bit more compassion and love to be human. Yeah. I heard the other day, the medical expense and investment of our government has continued to go up, but we're one of the countries that the lifespan has actually started to decline. And I think it's so interesting to see that for sure. I know when I was younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I went to a different school every two years. And my parents took me to all these psychologists and different doctors. And my mom got really passionate on the holistic approach. And so this is definitely very close to home for me. And I feel very inspired myself to take my own journey in improving my own gut health here after our conversation. Because I know that although I feel really good, I remember whenever I was younger thinking about my health and like exercising, I remember thinking, and even like just, you know, a skin routine. I remember thinking, you know, it's not about right now. It's about the longevity. It's about how right now actually impacts my future. And so what steps can we take today in order to improve our gut health? I know reducing stress, but any words of wisdom from you that would be helpful for us in this endeavor of cleaning up our gut and helping those bacteria be happy. Yeah. So the first one is going to be maybe sound a little bit weird, but focus on how you eat first before what you eat. So focus on sitting at a table, chewing your food, um, trying to remove distractions when possible. I have small kids. I don't know. Those of you listening may have small kids as well or Just know that this isn't perfect. I mean, some days are better than others, but as much as you can, try to sit at a table, relax, chew, you know, enjoy your meal. It's going to help so much as far as like actually breaking down food. And then the other thing that I would say is focus on diversity. So the largest research study that we have to date on gut health shows that the wider variety of foods you can eat, the more beneficial microbes you will have in your gut. And so the number that they've landed on is about 30 plants a week. That sounds like a lot, but it's not. So plants would include fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, beans, legumes, herbs, spices. If you think about like making spaghetti sauce, you know, you can add seven different things into one meal and that's just one meal out of your whole week. So 30 plants a week is a goal. If you take an inventory right now and you're eating two, Don't go to 30 in one week. Just like increase it by two or three a week and you'll be golden. And then the last thing is sleep. Sleep is huge for gut health. That's when your gut actually rests and digests. Um, And so if you can prioritize good quality sleep, you are going to have better bowel movements and just overall better digestion. 
We actually have the app that we use with our clients. We actually have graphs that we can pull up that show like sleep over satisfying bowel movements. It's like a thing that we have our clients rate. And it's amazing when we show this to clients like, oh, wow, when I got restful sleep, my perceived satisfying bowel movements were so much better. And so that's always just such a light bulb moment for people of, oh, rest actually really helps um, when I prioritize sleep. So those would be the the first three things that I would start with. That's that again, nobody's going to go wrong ever, ever doing those things. Is there a certain number of hours that we should aim for when we're thinking about sleep? Ideally seven to eight. If you're struggling with burnout or any adrenal issues, you may need eight to nine to 10, but in general, most people need seven to eight. Gotcha. What about, as I'm hearing you talk about diversifying food, I'm a believer in, personally, I'll share my thoughts. I'm a believer in balance. In my mind, I hold the belief that no food is actually bad. It's, you know, it's having the balance. And so, you know, occasionally if there's a dessert or something kind of like a treat, I'll let myself have it. I know sugar also can be one of the biggest things that our society is addicted to, especially as a parent. That's something that I'm always watching, but also trying not to be the helicopter mom at the same time. But in this topic of sugar, is that a part of the variety that we can have uh, here and there? What are your thoughts on that? I actually have a story that I'll tell that maybe will help solidify this a little bit because it just happened the other day. So like, I definitely think that food is nourishing, not only because of the nutritional aspects of it, but because of the experiences as well. So there are certain foods that like, maybe it is a certain dessert or something that is just pure nostalgia for you. That is nourishing in a completely different way. And I do believe that that is part of your gut health as well. But kind of on the sugar side of things. So it's something that I, especially in my past private practice where I saw primarily eating disorders, actually, it's something I'm very sensitive to of just how do I foster a healthy relationship with food for my kids? And so one thing that we actually do pretty regularly is we serve dessert with my daughter's dinner. So we'll give her her plate and I usually will like put the dessert on the plate. And the other night I observed her, I had put a ice cream cone on her plate, those little like Trader Joe's ones. She loves them. Oh. I put it on her plate and we were sitting there eating dinner and I was air frying some broccoli and it wasn't done yet. And she literally took a bite of her ice cream cone and then she looks at me and she goes, is the broccoli done yet? I really want that. And I was like, it was the coolest experience for me of just like, she knows what her body needs, you know, like she, she loves ice cream. Don't get me wrong. She would eat ice cream cones all day long, but she also is like very in tune with like, is the broccoli done yet? I really want some broccoli. And she proceeded to, I put the broccoli on her plate and she proceeded to basically just kind of eat a bite of this, eat a bite of that, take a bite of the ice cream cone. And she was just going around the plate and not, didn't eat the whole ice cream cone first. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't, but it was just such a cool experience of our bodies when we truly listen to them, they will tell us what we need and we can trust that and we can honor that. And like, there's a place for those things as well without it being some like untouchable, because I know if it was like, nope, you can never eat an ice cream cone, then that would be the thing that she would just to have first and probably never eat the rest of her dinner. So that was just a cool experience. Hopefully interesting to everybody else listening. 
Yeah. It makes me think about like my childhood. Anytime my parents would push against a topic that maybe I wanted, maybe it was like rap music, for example, you know, it was like the more that I wanted it. It's like, yeah, it's like when we're given freedom, we're able to connect to that intuition. As you're saying, like our Mm -hmm. body knows. Yes. Our body knows. And most people have gotten so far away from actually listening that we don't even know at this point what our body needs. But when we truly get back to our internal cues and hunger cues and and all that, it can be super powerful. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about just enjoying the food. And I personally feel that the only way to enjoy the food, as you were saying, is to be in the present moment. And I talk about that a lot with my audience and with my clients is bringing your your mind to this moment, not thinking about the past or the future, because really that's where stress really lies. And I think that being in the present is when you can actually taste all the flavors and enjoy it fully. And so I love to see those two things really coming together in harmony in not only our mental health being present, but also the way that our body functions when we are present in addition to just our minds. It benefits on both ends. You know, we're actually digesting our food when we're present because of the whole salivation stomach acid process I explained. But yeah, you're more satisfied and satisfaction is a part of gut healing and it's a part of the entire gut brain connection too. So it really benefits on both ends, which is super powerful. So fascinating. So fascinating. And I'm just, you know, my own upbringing, I'm just such a believer that it is the whole picture. You know, it's not like one thing. And I also think also just like in sciences from, you know, quantum physics, biology, psychiatry, psychiatry, on and on neuroscience, epigenetics, like all of this, it's, there's such a focus in like that individual science. But when you put it all together, there's such a beautiful picture of who we are and our power. Mm -hmm. And I think all of it comes together and absolutely lines up to manifestation. And I think, you know, when I was in college, I was actually in school for human medicine. And I feel like that's exactly why I came back to this again and again and and want to keep learning more about our bodies is because there is no separation. You know, it's all, it's like you said, it's all connected. So I saw something the other day. It was, I think on Instagram or maybe not, I don't know, but it was like basically like physical symptom or like physical, um, like emotions basically. And like the last one at the bottom was like shame and it was like vibration. Yeah. And it had something else that basically showed like kind of the physical symptoms that people might experience. And it was like, I wish I had screenshotted it because it was such a great way to show like, okay, these emotions affect our vibration, but the vibration actually affects like the physical symptoms that we're having. And I'm like, I see that with our clients. Yes. especially our clients that are like super mineral depleted, brain fog, like can't focus. They start repleting their minerals and they're like, the lights like turn back on and they're like, wow, I'm just like happier, more joyful. I'm like, yeah, your body has like the raw material again to do what it needs to do. And so it's really cool. Yeah. I think from my studies, I've studied a lot about the energy centers also called chakras. You know, and from what I understand and what I have learned and experienced for myself is that, as you said, there's an emotion that's linked to each energy center and each energy center has its own mind. And so when we're operating in that emotion, we're operating out of that mind, which is connected to specific organs, which is just like 
you know, and that's where spirituality and science really come together to be, you know, one in the same. And so I love it. Well, I am so inspired after this. I cannot wait to go talk to Devin. <laughs> like, you have to hear this conversation I just had. I have loved every single moment. I know that there may be some people here that are like, okay, you know, I'm ready to take these steps, but I also would love guidance and support. And I would not send them anywhere else except to you. So where can they find you if they'd like to connect further? Yeah. So the best place to find me is on Instagram. It's just at Dr. Heather Finley. But I also have a super fun quiz that people can take. So it's it'll basically help you figure out where to start. So the quiz is called Why Am I Bloated? But even if you're not bloated, it will also tell you what could be causing some of the other digestive issues. But it will connect your results with a popular song, which is what makes the quiz super fun. So for example, like Evanescence, Bring Me Back to Life or Miley Cyrus, The Climb. So super fun spin on, you know, what could be causing your bloat. And then it'll send you just some action steps after, depending on what your results are. So you can just go to drheatherfinley.co backslash quiz if you want to take the quiz. Amazing. I'm going to do it after we get off today. (laughs) Yeah. You'll have to send me your results. I will. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me and sharing this incredible wisdom that you have. And again, thank you so much for following your heart and being that vessel that is transforming lives and helping them live fuller, more joyful lives that they love. Well, thanks for all you do. And thanks for having me. This was so fun. Here we are again at the conclusion of another episode. I'm sending you a virtual hug, and I want you to know I am so proud of you for staying committed to your dreams. It's all possible, and it begins with you. If you'd like to discover more support, visit marissamorrison.net, where I have created opportunities for you to connect, expand, and to evolve into your greatest potential. Until next time, friend, I'm thinking of you and sending you all my love.